0: Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey there. Welcome. I'm Chris Shandro, the pastor at Compass, and I'm delighted to have you with me today. So a few months ago, my daughter went with some friends to a big conference in Chicago, this convention. And because it was an overnight thing, they had to get a hotel room. But there was a problem. None of them were old enough to get a hotel room on their own. They were all over 18, but most hotels have a policy where they won't rent to anyone under 21 years old, which feels kind of arbitrary, doesn't it? I mean, at 18, you could fight overseas in the military, but if you come home to visit, you can't get a hotel room to stay in. Society puts together these kind of age-based rules and guidelines that sometimes just feel completely arbitrary, even nonsensical. I mean, when I was 24, I was married, I had a career, my wife was pregnant with our first child, but I couldn't rent a car because I wasn't 25. I mean, when a kid turns 18, they can legally purchase as many guns as they want, but they can't drink a glass of wine. Where do we come up with these standards? I mean, I understand that we want to have just laws in place, meaning laws that are guided by truth and reason, justice and fairness, But sometimes in our quest to have just laws, we can create systems that don't make sense or don't work at all. And the line between something being just and something being harmful is actually a lot narrower than we think, especially when it comes to religion. So for example, this week, a candidate running for a state house seat in Oklahoma, uh, he had some of his past comments come up Uh, Some things that he said online, and this is what he said. He said that according to the Bible, gay people deserved the death penalty. Now, when, when he was asked to clarify his comment, he was given the benefit of the doubt, he responded by saying this. He said, I think we would be totally in the right to do it. That goes against some parts of libertarianism, and I realize that I'm largely libertarian, is what he said. But ignoring as a nation things that are worthy of death is very remiss. And then again, when he was asked about it a year later by a journalist, he doubled down, saying this. Saying, what I will tell you right now is that was done in the Old Testament under a law that came directly from God. And in that time, it was totally just. That's what this politician said. And this is where things get complicated in religion. See, a fundamentalist reading of the Bible could lead some to say that it is just to execute gay people, while the vast majority of everyone else, including a vast majority of Christians, myself included, would say the exact opposite. Executing someone based on their sexual orientation is obviously unjust and wrong. This is only one example, though, where there's a big divide between those who think they have a just religion and those who see things pretty differently, because they see a religion that's just like... I'm just going to dismiss all of that because that's just religion and there's nothing of any value there. And I think that's a tragedy because that means there are people who end up dismissing the opportunity to know God and experience life to the fullest because we couldn't get the word just right. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what is truly just religion, a faith that's guided by truth, reason, justice, and fairness, and how we can separate just religion from the type of religion that's so easy to dismiss as worthless. And so we're going to ask ourselves, is my religion just, or is it just religion? And we're going to start today in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1-2. through 2. A story about Jesus says this, At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Okay, everything that we are going to talk about this week and next week, it hinges on one command in the Bible. It's the command to observe and honor the Sabbath. The Sabbath happened every Saturday in Judaism, and it was a day every week that the Jewish people would refrain from all work in order to rest, and to honor God. It was instituted, the Sabbath was instituted within the Ten Commandments instead in Exodus 28. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you." So, as you can see, this is the command in the Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath. And it came with some strict and very clear instructions. No one was to do any work on the Sabbath, which included any non-Jewish foreigners who lived in Israel, and it even included the farm animals. The Jewish people took the Sabbath very seriously. So seriously, in fact, that the rabbis, the Jewish teachers, they actually expanded on this scripture to make a list of things not to do on the Sabbath just so that no one would unintentionally violate the law. And the rabbis had 39 categories of prohibited work, and it included things like you can't carry anything, can't cook, you can't wash. You, you couldn't even tie or untie knots And there were hundreds of restricted acts that were listed specifically under each category. So you couldn't prepare food, you couldn't climb a tree or tear up a piece of paper, uh, you couldn't walk around with something in your pocket or even holding something in your mouth. Observing the Sabbath was a big deal. Check this out, Exodus 35 2-3. Moses said this, he said, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on that day must be put to death. You must not even light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath. Now, this wasn't stated in Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, but Moses said later that breaking the Sabbath was a death penalty violation of the law. Look at at what he wrote in Exodus 31.15. You must keep the Sabbath day for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. That's the law that Jesus' disciples were breaking. And they broke it in at least three different ways according to these rabbinic codes. First, they were picking heads of grain, which broke the specific Sabbath rule against harvesting. Then, they had to remove the wheat grain from the husk around it, which broke the specific Sabbath rule against threshing. And then they would have to blow away the chaff so that they could eat the wheat, which broke the specific Sabbath rule against winnowing. Now, these are all agricultural terms, but, but all of this raises a question. Is the Sabbath law just? As it was taught and practice, practiced all the way back to Moses, is the Sabbath law moral and good? I don't think many people, especially Christians, would say that it's morally okay to execute someone for pulling weeds or making lunch on the Sabbath. And yet, it's right there in black and white print in the Old Testament where Moses says twice that Sabbath violators are to be put to death. No one can deny what the Bible says about it. So what do we do with that as Christians? We handle it different ways. Some people just write it off. And they say it was a law for then, but it's not a law for now. But then, many of those same people would still say that there are other Old Testament laws that we should still follow. Things like the sexual prohibitions. In fact, they would say that the fact that the death penalty is actually attached to some of those sexual prohibitions shows that those rules are serious enough for us to continue following, even though the death penalty is also attached to the Sabbath. That doesn't make logical sense to me. And it definitely doesn't make logical sense to people outside the church. Instead, it looks like we're inconsistent in how we interpret and apply the Bible. And so now we have a religion that appears to be unjust and it was also applied in inconsistent ways. So what do we do when there are things that are unambiguously demanded by religion that also seem wrong? Well, my answer to that is always going to be To live like Jesus lived, to think like he thought, and to do what he taught. So let's get into Jesus' mind by looking at how he responded to the accusations that were levied against his disciples. And the story continues in Matthew 12, verse 3. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Haven't you read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. Okay, now I'm going to warn you right here, what Jesus is doing here is so much bigger than you realize. Because the first thing he does is he turns to the most highly trained religious scholars of his day when they question him, and he's like, wow, have you guys ever read the Bible before? That's not super relevant, I just think it's kind of funny. And he's like, you ever read the Bible, chump? But anyway, but then he goes on to refer to a time when David, who was on the run, he went into the tabernacle for shelter. Presumably it was on the Sabbath, but that David and his companions broke religious law by eating sacred bread meant only for the priests. A law enumerated in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And then Jesus literally says that David broke the law. Jesus didn't try to explain why David didn't actually violate the law to do some technicality. He owned it. And in doing so, Jesus also acknowledged that his disciples broke the Sabbath law. Jesus is like, yeah. Yeah. I know they're breaking the Sabbath, but they're doing it for the same reason David did, because they're hungry. And I don't hear you calling out David for breaking the law. But then after after straight up admitting that his disciples violated Jewish law and the Sabbath law, Jesus continues. He says, and haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there's one here who's even greater than the temple, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath." Okay, what Jesus says here, I mean, this is enormous. Because the temple was everything to the Jewish people. To them, it was the one place where God's presence literally resided. It was the physical and spiritual center of their faith. And nothing was greater than the temple except except for God himself. The temple was greater even than the Sabbath law because priests could do work in the temple on that day. Because the demands of the temple superseded the demands of Scripture. And Jesus basically just said that the reason his disciples are okay to do what they did is because, in the same way that the priests serve the temple, they serve him. And he is greater than the temple. And if Jesus is greater than the temple, then he definitely has authority over the Sabbath law. And just so you know how serious this statement Jesus makes is, this is the kind of talk that got Jesus killed. Saying that he had the authority to reinterpret Scripture using temple language about himself and making statements that put him equal to God. I mean, these were lines that you did not cross. But Jesus said all those things. Jesus acknowledged that his disciples violated the Sabbath law, and then he claimed to have the authority to let them do it. Authority over the temple, authority over all of Jewish Scripture. And he claimed he have that authority by completely reinterpreting Scripture. And then the best thing he did was he gave us a look into his thought process when he interpreted the Sabbath law differently than it had ever been interpreted. And he did that by quoting a single line of Scripture in Hosea 6.6. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is the second time that Jesus quotes, quotes this verse in the Gospel of Matthew. The first time is in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus is accused by the Pharisees of violating Jewish law and tradition by eating with unclean sinners. And now... He again quotes it when he's being accused of not following the demands of his religion. And here's the thing, this is so helpful to us. Because at the heart of having just religion is the ability to interpret Scripture correctly. The thing is that all interpretation of the Bible is subjective. We interpret what it says through the lenses of our own culture, our experience, and our own knowledge of the history of the Bible. And and that's why we have so many different denominations, because different people interpret the Bible differently because we interpret it subjectively. It's why we obey some commandments exactly like the people of Israel did thousands of years ago, but we don't observe the Sabbath law the way Israel did thousands of years ago the same way, because all Scripture gets interpreted subjectively. And Jesus gives us a gift here. He gives us a definitive, consistent, Jesus-approved way to interpret and understand the Bible. Because Hosea 6.6 is not just a verse Jesus liked to quote. It's the lens through which he understood all of Jewish Scripture. And here's the thing. Jesus interpreted the demands of Scripture and religion through the lens of mercy. Mercy, not sacrifice. Love first. People first. That's Jesus' interpretive filter for the law. Where the law says an eye for an eye, he asks, what does mercy say? Where the law says don't have anything to do with sinners, what does mercy say? The law says there are some sins that are worthy of death, but what does mercy say? Jesus' filter isn't, am I right, or do I have the Bible on my side, or even this is what religion has always done. I mean, the Pharisees had all of that. We tend to look at them as the bad guys, but the fact is is that they just had a competing view of how God's kingdom should function in the world. And they had scripture, tradition, and centuries of religious practice on their side. But Jesus had the interpretive filter of mercy. Religion that is easily dismissed says this. It says, if it's a rule, follow it. It doesn't matter how hard it is or how complicated it may be. I don't have to understand it to do what it says. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. But that isn't how Jesus thought about God or about scripture or religion. Jesus always looked past the rule to understand and apply the underlying principle. And the principle was always rooted in mercy. So today, I just want you to ask yourself, is the expression of my faith rooted in mercy? Or is it rooted in something else? Is my faith rooted in, in tradition or, or anger or arrogance? Is, is, my, is my religion rooted in comfort or culture or politics? Any of those things can become the lens through which you interpret scripture and religion. But then you have to ask yourself, what kind of religion do you have? Is your religion just or is it just religion? The answer to that lies in whether or not your expression of faith is rooted in mercy. So like Jesus did, like Jesus taught, as we examine our lives, as we examine our expression of faith, as we examine our own religion, as we examine Scripture, let's look at it through the lens, through the filter of mercy. When we look at the commands and the demands and the expectations of Scripture, let's look at those things through the lenses and the filter of mercy, because that's how we will understand not just Jesus, but we will understand God's heart for every issue in our lives when we see it all through the lenses of love and through the lenses of mercy. I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.